What is up, you guys? Welcome to another segment of Meninge Toi. I'm your hostess, Keeks, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast. How have y'all been doing? We're about to get ready to start another week. I feel like we kind of started a new week already, but that's only because, you know, it's my Monday, you know. So my my schedule been kind of off. But I hope everyone has been doing great. I personally have a headache that I've been dealing with for the past five hours, but... You know, I'm trying to get through it, you know what I'm saying? But I did want to still get this information and this uh, education information out to you guys because, you know, my schedule's been kind of, it's been a bit weird and I think everyone can tell. Maybe everyone can tell, but I noticed. So, you know, um, so before I go ahead and get straight to it, I'm going to go ahead and get my formalities out the way. First and foremost, make sure you guys listen to my last episode. I talk, I titled it The American Nightmare, but in that episode, you can hear me talk about the American dream and go into depth about everything pertaining to that, you know, the history, all of that. Secondly, make sure you guys follow my second podcast team at SFA Charlotte. That is S.F.A Charlotte. You guys can find our podcast available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and Castbox. And make sure y'all listen to our latest episode, Black Love Parts 2 and 3. Y'all gonna love that one. Make sure y'all share that as well because I feel like it will really touch a lot of hearts and um, it's great for, for families and for relationships. So yeah, make sure y'all, y'all check that out and share that information. Not even the information, just share that love. Go ahead. Make sure y'all check that out. Then finally, follow me on my social media accounts at Meninge You guys can follow me on, follow me and find me on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter. Y'all should be following me anyways, but you know, it may be a new audience member. You know, you never know. So make sure y'all follow me again on social media at Meninjetwa. Again, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, now that we got that out the way, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, come to you all with the topic and everything I'm going to be talking about today. So today, I'm going to be talking about gentrification. Yes, gentrification. I feel like that's a term some of us may have heard, some of us may know about it, some of us may have an idea of what it is, but may not fully understand it or understand how it works. Some of us may know it by a different name, but um, just talk about gentrification because, again, it's something that plagues the black community, and uh, I feel like this week's episodes, I really tried to make them about economics and... uh, just how money moves within a black community. So yeah, we're gonna go ahead and talk about gentrification today. And the core questions I have in talking about gentrification are what is gentrification? How does it occur or happen? Why does it happen? Places it, it can occur? And why do low-income residents have to relocate? And really going in depth or a little bit in detail about low-income resident displacement and talking about what that means and what that looks like. And then, is there a way to predict which neighborhoods will be the next ones that will be gentrified? And finally, are there any ways to combat gentrification? If so, how? So, 
now that I got all those questions out the way, let's go ahead and get straight to it. I'm trying this thing where I know I'm going to be talking kind of fast, but I really want to get straight to the point because I feel like my episodes, again, have been kind of long. So I'm trying to make them, you know, straight to the point, real direct, straightforward for the sake of time. And um, yeah, things like that. So what is gentrification? As always, I have my various definitions. Today's definitions I took from GoogleVocabulary.com and Forbes. So, Google defines gentrification as the process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle class taste. Again, the process of renovating and improving a house or district that it conforms to middle class taste. Vocabulary.com defines gentrification as A process when people with money start fixing up poor neighborhoods, that's gentrification. It sounds great, except it usually means the poor residents can't afford to live there anymore and have to move. Gentrification is the restoration of rundown urban areas by the middle class, resulting in the displacement of low-income residents. Then a final definition I have comes from Forbes.com. And Forbes uh, had this really great article. It's written by a guy by the name of Pete Saunders. And I was looking into his content. He, has, he writes a lot of articles talking about economics and urban affairs and things like that. But he really went into detail in talking about gentrification and the process of how it happened. So his definition of gentrification is the movement into a formerly deteriorating community by middle class or affluent residents All of the above would be signs of a process that is well underway. So basically the movement um, of a poor community, the transformation of a poor community by middle class um, or affluent residents. And I really like the article written by Pete Saunders because, again, he made um, he went into great detail talking about gentrification and even um, made a few points in talking about how it happens and the example that he used in his article he talked about the city of Chicago and if you guys are interested you guys can go on Forbes.com and find this article it's called understanding gentrification so the next question um that I had and before I even get into talking about how does gentrification happens I want to talk about a little bit more as to what are the main factors that are looked at when a certain area is getting ready or uh well yeah when a certain area is getting ready to be gentrified so there are four main factors I found in doing my research one is the median age and this basically means that age of the neighborhood, how long has it been around, and things like that. The second thing is the white and minority population. So the racial demographics. What are the racial demographics of this community, white versus people of color? The third thing that is looked at is the educational attainment. What are the educational levels within this neighborhood? And when they say that, they basically mean how, what's the um, education levels of the people that reside in this community? Do they have their high school diplomas? Do they have their associate's degrees? Do they have their bachelor's degree? Do they have their master's degree? Do they have their PhDs? And if there's a higher influx, if there's a 
greater population of residents that have a bachelor's degree, then the income of that particular neighborhood neighborhood is assumed to be higher because the education attainment is higher. Whereas if the community um, has residents that have only gotten, or I'm not going to say has only, but majority of the residents in the community has a high school diploma, then it's assumed that the income of that neighborhood is lower because of the education attainment level. And this is all under the assumption that, you know, when you go to school and you get degrees and you pursue a higher education, and you get degrees, that means that you're making more money. I'll just, yeah. So that's the assumption. So that's why um, the educational attainment why education attainment is one of the one of the um primary factors because it's like okay well with the more you learn and it's like having a degree kind of gives you this social i don't know i feel like it kind of it gives you like this this social freaking crown almost i don't even want to say a crown cuz i don't want to make it seem like you know people who pursue higher education are better than people who do not because that's not the case at all. But I'm just trying to emphasize the point that people who do uh, pursue higher education and get degrees, they are, a, they are assumed and expected to be making more money than those who do not. And the final factor um, that is considered when it comes to gentrification is the household size. And the reason why the household size is considered the household size is considered is because that basically helps them put a number on how much money is being brought into this particular home. And not just this particular home, but the homes within this community. So if you have four people in your home and all four people are working, that's more income. That could be more income compared to people who have compared to people who may uh, reside in a two house, a two, um, family home where you know there's only two people working and then of course the educational attainment levels are factors in this as well you know who has PhDs how many people not even who has PhDs who has degrees how many people have degrees and things like that so the article on Forbes um again Pete Saunders made another very um a more detailed definition or created a more detailed definition of gentrification and he said it's the transition of a community from low income or working class status to middle class or affluent status largely through in migration it starts by defining the demographic composition of a city at a fixed time and documenting changes from that time so I kind of want to break that up you know just to you know make it, I guess, easier to digest. So basically it's a transition of a community from a low income or working class status to middle class. So basically the class within a neighborhood changes from being like a low class to a middle class. Um, and I don't even like using these words because I just feel like the the way, the associations that come with these words and things like that, I just, ugh, I don't like it. Um, But one big thing I really want to point out in his definition is that he said it occurs through in migration. So that basically means that you have middle class people moving into these low income neighborhoods and 
when you have these people moving into these neighborhoods, they're not only are they expecting things to change, things are changing already. By that time, when they start moving in, it's kind of too late because things are already changing. And I'm probably, maybe I'm jumping a little bit too far ahead of the gun when I say this here, but at that point it is, it is kind of too late because it's like policies have already been put in place and the money has already been moved and things like that. But once the middle class starts moving into these low income communities, things begin to change so far as like, that's when you start seeing all these different stores pop up. Like if you see a Whole Foods, you know, dang on well, you go to the hood, you ain't gonna see no damn Whole Foods because ain't nobody gonna shop at Whole Foods because why? Whole Foods is too expensive. You see things like, yoga studios and and frozen yogurt places and and uh freaking uh pet grooming shops like you know you go to the hood ain't nobody doing none of that because what like a pet groom girl if you don't go take that dog and wash it in the backyard you know what i'm saying yoga studio girl if you don't sit like it's yeah that you can tell when gentrification happens because things around the neighborhood begin to change. And one of the things that you can't pay attention to definitely would be the services that are being provided in the community. So things such as Whole Foods and yoga studios and pet grooming shops and all that crap. Because it's like in the hood, people don't invest their money in that. You know, we don't, we no, no, no. So... How does gentrification happen? And I found this really great article. Um, it is crap. I didn't write it down. Dang it. I'm gonna go back and look for it. But it was a really great article that really uh, gave you a, a very detailed description as to how gentrification happens. So I'm gonna kind of go through the numbers that I have here and just kind of give a paraphrase of what one of the articles that I um, did come across and explaining how gentrification happens. So the first thing that happens is you get people, they got a job in a certain area and you know how people usually prefer to work at a place that's close to their house because you know, it's an easier commute. It's more, much more simple. So because of that, people would try to move to places that are closest closer to their jobs so usually or the example they use is having a job that's in a central part of the city oh this is the forbes article okay okay so this is the forbes article you guys okay so the example they use is people who have jobs in a central part of the city which basically means you know working downtown or uptown and you know like the downtown area of a city and when people have jobs in the city, they try to look for, let's just say hypothetically, um, they try to look for residences surrounding that area, not only that are closest to their job, but that are cost efficient. So of course, if you're moving right there, downtown, everybody know that if you move downtown, they, you know, them lofts, they be asking you for thousands of dollars for rent. And at that point, you might as well buy a house or pay a mortgage, you know, because that's just a lot of money. But um, that's usually how it starts. And again, I just use downtown because, you know, this is hypothetically speaking, this is just the example that the article went with. So Again, you have a person who has a job downtown and they're looking to find a house or a place to reside. And obviously living downtown 
is way beyond their budget or maybe it's not. They're just trying to, you know, be smart in how they invest their money. So that's when you have this cone that's created and they called it a like a um they refer to it as being a conical pattern, which basically means that there's this cone shape that takes place. So I wish I had a visual to explain it, but I'm going to try to explain it the best way I can using words. So where the center part of the city is or downtown, that's the center of the cone. And then if you go a little bit outside of that perimeter, it will get the residences will get a little cheaper because it's like, okay, now it's not downtown, but it's still pretty close. So the prices won't be as expensive, but they're not going to be, they're going to be a little bit cheaper, but not as expensive. And then if you go outside of that perimeter, then the prices get even cheaper because it's like, again, you're getting further away from the city or from the, um, from downtown and, Again, because you are getting basically the further away you get from the the city, the cost of housing is going to decrease. And that's basically the conical pattern that they were referring to in the article. So basically, when people do have their jobs and they're looking for places to live, they're looking for places that are within their budget, that are cost efficient and that are close that are closer to their jobs. And um, I think it's also important to note here that people don't necessarily think or assume or even expect that they're going to be driving to work. That's one thing I found a lot in doing research on this is that another thing that changes when it comes to gentrification is public transportation. When public transportation becomes more reliable and more efficient and more available in a certain area, you can, I don't want to say you can always expect gentrification to happen, but that is something that the middle class uses as a means of saving money to get to and from work. So instead of driving to work every day, they'll rely on public transportation. They'll take the bus, they'll take the train or whatever type of public transportation that is being provided by the city. So, you know, when they are looking for houses um, that are close to their jobs, they're also factoring, okay, how close is this to the train? How close is this to the bus? How many buses do I have to take? How, how far is the train stop from here? You know, and things like that. So, um, I think I got to like, I got through the second point. Uh, let me just see my notes. Some people realize they cannot afford and settle for purchasing or renting property on the uh, peripheral of the city and accept the longer commute to work. So again, you know, the further you get away from the city, the cheaper houses or property housing properties get, but the longer your commute is to get to work. So these are just things that they consider. Um, at some point, something changes this pattern in a way that housing values near the city center begin to fall. So basically, you know, you have a person, they got a job, let's say the job is downtown, they're looking for a place to stay, they choose to stay someplace that's some ways away from their job, not too far, you know what I'm saying? They could rely on public transportation because it's very efficient so they can get to and from work and still... uh 
reside someplace that is affordable. So basically, gentrification starts to happen where something in the city uh, or the neighborhood causes the neighborhood to lose value. And this can be a multitude of things. I know one of the examples I saw is that the housing stock near the city center may grow older and become less desirable. Or when businesses move out of the city, that can also drive down um, housing value because when you take businesses, especially if it's a major business and a lot of people rely on that business to get to work, that's a lot of money going into that particular neighborhood because that business is providing not only a a great service, but um, a lot of jobs and a lot of wealth and money going into that community. So when major businesses move out of neighborhoods, housing properties, the value uh, begin to What's up, y'all? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to take a minute of your time. Are you based in Charlotte? Are you looking for dessert catering for a party, an event, or even a late night snack? I know I have just what you need. One name at Mo Made It underscore desserts. What better way to satisfy your sweet craving and get lit than with some Hennessy cupcakes? Got a sweet tooth? She has anything and everything you need. Y'all, I'm talking cupcakes, cakes, chocolate-covered strawberries, chocolate-covered pretzels, cake pops, brownies, cupcake jars, you name it, she got it. And she does custom orders. And she's super affordable. I can guarantee your taste buds will be satisfied. Make sure y'all follow my show me on Instagram at it underscore desserts. That is at M-O-M-A-D-E-I-T underscore desserts. Go to her for all of your baked goods needs. Oh, and one more thing. Tell her Keek sent you. The housing value begins to fall because, again, it's like money is being taken out of the community. And then now you don't even have people going to this community as often because people aren't People don't work here anymore, so it's less um, traffic. And the community becomes less desirable because it's like there's no business here. There's no people here. So, yeah, it's not even attractive anymore. And there could be, again, a multitude of things that could happen. Why um, the housing value of a neighborhood or housing values within a neighborhood begin to fall. But those were just two hypothetical examples. But whatever the reason is, houses near the central part of the city, the downtown area, will fall into disrepair and the value will fall. So basically, where there is a majority of working people, that's where the housing market booms. Where there are not a lot of working people, the housing market is less valuable. And just as the lower prices, you know, when we're talking about housing, just as the lower prices in relation to housing drew people in or drew people to the outskirts of the city or the peripheral parts of the city, now the lower prices begin to draw them back toward the center. So this basically means that wherever the 
cost for whenever the cost for um housing properties begin to drop that's what starts to attract the middle class because it's like oh there's cheap houses there's cheap houses there's cheap houses and they see those as not just places to live and places to reside they see those as business opportunities and uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um crap i can't think of it right now but they see it as a business opportunity to and a business investment so they choose to again go and follow that market and then you have a bunch of people buying up these properties that are really really cheap and then by them investing all their money into buying these properties then I'm jumping ahead of the gun. But once they start buying up these properties, then the prices, the value of the properties begin to rise because then they start changing, not just, they start changing the community and they start changing the properties. You know, they'll start renovating them, putting in new counters, new doors, and just refurbishing them and making them look really, really nice and trying to, in their terms, clean up the neighborhood and make it look better so once you start refurbishing the houses and you start making you start adding value to the households then of course you can sell them for higher double triple times the cost that you purchased them for because now you're putting so much money into um into enhancing these properties and now that you've put so much money into enhancing these properties and you made the neighborhood look a little different now you have to make some changes and make the neighborhood look even uh, even more different because now the 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 neighborhood has to match the aesthetic of the houses if that makes sense so i know for example back in milwaukee there's this one there's this neighborhood that was by my great-grandmother's house it was on like the lee and what street is that uh like right between like near Valley and Cherry and I know nobody really knows where that is unless you reside in Milwaukee but if you grew up in Milwaukee yo that was the hood you know so I remember there was this grocery store over there and there was these projects that was over there there was this McDonald's that was across the street from this grocery store we used to go to sometimes yo you go over there now the projects is gone, the McDonald's is gone, and they built these really, really nice houses. And they look really, really nice. Like, it looks really, really, really nice over there now. And I'm not saying it didn't look nice over there before, but I'm just saying, like, the houses, the way they, they the houses look nice. They look real, real nice. And one thing that, and you know, now that I think about it, that is very close to downtown Milwaukee. Like, yo, it's one bus ride. To downtown Milwaukee, you can hop on. What bus is that? I'm. It don't even matter. But I don't know. It's just interesting to think about it because it's like I always heard about gentrification. I always would get bothered by because I'm like, man, like why are they coming over here like buying up stuff and changing it, and then now you're forcing people to move out because they can't afford to live here anymore. Like, yo, that's messed up. That's bogus. But when you really like, just you get to the root of it and you see how it works, it's like, damn, like man um oh excuse me so I went on a bit of a tangent I'm sorry but the prices get low you know you have the middle class come in buy up all these properties fix them up or whatever and basically try to make the properties 
they make the pro they refurbish the properties, make them look nice. So now it's like now that the properties look nice, now we have to make some changes to this neighborhood, clean up the neighborhood, make the neighborhood look nice, you know what I'm saying? So people can move over here and we can have an easier way to get to and from work and things like that. So the combination of lower cost and proximity to the central city or work makes certain neighborhoods more desirable than the suburbs, especially for people with high incomes and access to credit who are most able to convert central city housing to higher priced rental property or single family homes. I want to read that again because that was a very, very great quote from uh, Forbes. It says, the combination of lower cost and proximity to the central city makes certain central neighborhoods more desirable than the suburbs, especially for people with high incomes and access to credit who are most able to convert central city housing to higher priced rental property or single family homes. I'm telling y'all, credit. If you don't got it, you need to get it. Work on it. I'm telling you, credit, yo, credit is like, credit is like, oh, credit is like, it's almost like gold. It's not as, it's not as, 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 uh, well, maybe, maybe, but yeah, if, if you don't know nothing about credit, yo, yo, get, get on it, get on, maybe I should do an episode talking about credit. Um, so now I want to talk about things that drive the housing market up and or down. And there's four points or four things that I noticed in doing my research. First is the working class in that area. And the working class basically means how many people are working and how much money are they making? How much money is being brought into that neighborhood and things like that. Secondly, the population of people in that area. How many people reside in this area? Because if there's more people and they're all working, that's more income going into that neighborhood. If there's more people, but they're not all working, yes, a lot of people, but they're not all working. So there's not really much money being circulated in this neighborhood or being brought into this uh, this neighborhood. Or it could be, there was another option. I just, it just left me. Um, I'll, I'll try to come back to it. I probably won't, but you know, third point, the income being brought and made in that area. So again, you know, people being in that area and not just living in that area, people working in that area and how much they're making. And yeah, I feel like that's, that's pretty straightforward. And finally, the businesses, services, and metropolitan opportunities. So not just the people that reside in this community and people working and making money and making this amount of money, but what type of services reside in this community? How much um, money are these services circulating in the community? And I feel like, you know, there can be, I mean, when I say services, that means a multitude of things. You know, it can be fast food restaurants it can be eateries it can be barbershops it can be and i'm i'm thinking the place things that i see in my community you know you see hair salons you see barbershops you see a variety of corner stores you see um you see gas stations you see parks you see schools you see you may have a grocery store, you know, 
Um, what else? You may have a recreational facility. Like there could be there could be a multitude of things, but basically, like what type of services and businesses reside in this community, and how much money are they bringing into this community? How much um, wealth are are they? contributing to this community because again you know you have people that work and make money but if you have businesses in the neighborhood too that's even more money that's being circulated within that particular neighborhood so those are things that drive the housing market up and or down and again you know all these things have an input have an impact on the value of housing properties in a neighborhood you know depending on how many people reside in the neighborhood and not just if there is a lot of people, because there can be a lot of people, but again, they may not all be employed or they may be employed, but they might, they may not be making that much money. Uh, or they may be employed, they may be making money, but there aren't any businesses or many businesses that are, that reside in that particular community. So all these things have an impact on the value of a housing market and, if you are looking to purchase property, I would definitely say these are things that you want to pay attention to so far as knowing the value of housing properties and things like that. So my next point I have, why gentrify? I want to reiterate, these are not reasons to justify gentrification. These are just reasons I came up with in doing my research as to why gentrification happens. So the first reason I have is to keep a shuffle in the com- in the economy. I'm not sh- I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the stock market and things like that, but you know, um when it comes to the stock market, you're going to have your peaks and you're going to have your downfalls. Like you have to have that up and down kind of scattered, staticky kind of um like heel when it comes to the stock market and the housing market is the same way you want to have progression you're going to have your progression you're going to have your downfalls but you have to be able to keep it moving it can't be steady because if you keep it steady where if it's steady and it's constantly going up or it's steady and it's constantly going down that's not growth and that's not bringing any profits and you know if you don't fully understand that do research on stocks and the stock market and the stock market and things like that. So the second point I have is to make profit and make money. So basically to re- reiterate what I just said, again, you want to make sure you have progression in the community. You want to make sure you have progression in the value and the values of housing properties. And I feel like gentrification happens to kind of help keep money flowing through cities and towns and things like that. And really to make more money because when you put money into you buy a prop you buy a piece of property and let's say you buy it real cheap but you fix it up real nice you probably not even spending that much money to refurbish it and make it look real nice you flip it now you can sell that property for three times the amount that you purchased it for just because you put some new countertops, a new door, you put some bushes out in front, you probably made a little driveway or something. You know, these are that may be a little bit extreme with the driveway, but these are little things that they that take that they do to refurbish properties to drive the housing values up. They put new counters in. They put new sinks in. They might give you a little walk-in closet. They might give you a little colorful door. You know, these little amenities, but they the value of these things, it it 
somehow surges the value of these housing properties and maybe it's because of the aesthetic and the style and things like that i should really get into flipping houses yo i digress but um that's the second point third point to favor the wealthy i feel like gentrification is the perfect product and a perfect the perfect product and clashing of classism and racism because in gentrification you see that money talks and you see how in having money how you can make things change so far as even making policies change to work in your favor and I'm going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about that next but money talks in America where capitalism is is America is a capitalist society so money drives everything in this nation money talks and money in America money overrules morality you see that everywhere with the justice system and, and with politics and even with things such as gentrification, which I feel like is politics. Um, but the middle class or the people who have this money, they have the economic, the economic power to make drastic changes within communities. And this can happen, excuse me, with people who have less income or a lower income, but it's going to happen at a slower rate, at a slower rate because they're not making as much as people of the middle class are. People of the middle class are making more money at a faster rate, whereas people who come from low income families are making a little bit less. They can try to make these changes and they can make them happen. It's just going to be slower because they're not making as much money. So it's like they have to work twice as hard to even try to get the um the financial gains that people of the middle class will have so again that's not to say that the uh, people who come from low-income communities and families can't do it it's just going to be at a slower rate other reasons i found and i would strongly encourage all of you to check out this article it's written by northeastern university school of public policy and urban affairs it's called why gentrification happens i promise y'all when i read this article i was like yo like Yo, it was so refreshing. It was very informational. But I'm just going to read off some of the um some of the reasonings that they have. So, the first thing that they have is my computer hurries up. Wealthy people wanting to live near rich neighborhoods at a lower cost. And I'm pretty much paraphrasing what they had in the article. Um, and that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, you have wealthy people who have a lot of money, but they want to have, they want to live somewhere that's cheaper and they don't want to pay that much money. They want the neighborhood to be nice. They want their house to be nice. So they'll even fix their house up how they want to. And they'll do that and they'll fix up other houses and fix the whole neighborhood to make it cater to their taste and their aesthetic. That's why I see things like these yoga studios and Whole Foods and all this crap because, you know, these are things that they're putting in the community that favors them and things that they like and that favors their taste. And that's what they meant when they said people of the middle class come and change the neighborhood and make it favor their taste and things like that. Um, 
But basically, yeah, you have these people who got money and they want to buy properties at a cheaper cost, which I feel like that's very straightforward. Second, gentrification being supported by other means. And when they were talking about other means, they meant things such as public transportation, affordable housing, crime rates, public policies. Oh, and public policies, my fault. So again, when they buy these properties, it's more than just buying properties, y'all. I'm telling y'all, when they buy these properties, they can change the whole freaking neighborhood where public transportation starts to change. They make it, they make sure that public transportation becomes easily accessible to them so that when they do move in these communities, they have a way to get to work. They have a means to get to work that's efficient, that's cost effective, and that's very convenient to them. Affordable housing, which basically means that they're able to, they have the public transportation and they're able to have cheap property. It's a win-win, win-win-win-win for them. Thirdly would be crime rates. I feel like, I feel like, and, and this is this is a little bit of a tangent and some people may not agree with me on this, but to each his own. I feel like when it comes to crime rates, sometimes the media can exaggerate things just to make it seem that crime is as bad or as terrible in a neighborhood when it may not even be that bad. And I feel like sometimes they do that as a means to help um perpetuate gentrification so basically i'm saying i feel like sometimes they be lying about the crime rates and things like that i feel like sometimes they exaggerate the crime or whatever in a certain neighborhood to try to get people to move out of the community because you know people don't want to live in a neighborhood that's super violent and all that it makes people scared they don't feel safe they don't feel protected and things like that people don't want to live in a neighborhood like that so when you get that kind of media coming through your television all the time or you're hearing about that all the time you're seeing it all the time that makes people want to move and I don't know how they do it. So maybe I shouldn't be making this statement if I can't even provide a detailed explanation as to how they do it. But I feel like if they have enough influence to change the policies and get the aldermans and mayors and all these people involved to change policies to make them work in their favor, I wouldn't be surprised if they had connections with the with the uh, with the feds. That would not surprise me at all. Like they work hand in hand. Um. But crime rates definitely have, has an influence in supporting gentrification. You will see the crime rates drastically change. And it's crazy because you'll be thinking like, oh, well, in this neighborhood, when I grew up, it was like this. It was like this. And then now all of a sudden it's like not as bad. And then finally, public policies working in the favor of the middle class. So things such as, I don't know, like voting rights and school boards and school districts and things like that. And, uh... Legis legis legislation. Um, which basically means the politics and things like that of that neighborhood. The next reason that they had was global liberalism, which is shifting public policy towards speculator friendly market oriented development. Now I know that's like really wordy, so I just went ahead and looked up a Google definition of neoliberalism and Google defines neoliberalism as a modified form of liberalism 
tending to favor a free, no, tending to favor free market capitalism. So basically, what is neoliberalism in simple terms? Another definition. Um, Neoliberalism is a term for different social and economic ideas. And basically, I receive that as getting the again public policy to favor um a free market in this in this case the free market would be housing i'm not sure if that's completely correct you guys but we're gonna roll with it and there were some other quotes i got from this article that i'm gonna go ahead and share with you all one of them is Long cycles of disinvestment followed by a speculative reinvestment in specific neighborhoods. This disingenuous process results from the cooperation of policymakers with capital owners, allowing higher income people, but especially financial speculators, to reap substantial profits in detriment of the poor thus further accelerating capital concentration and inequality. Now, I know that was a lot, but yo, like, when I read that, I was like, oh, like, it it was, it was, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's a shame. You have people who are, who have, because they have money and they're able to buy properties and change them up and make them look nice, they're, forcing people out of their homes who've stayed there their whole lives. They're forcing them um, they're forcing them out of their homes and these people don't have anywhere to go. And not only are they forcing people out of their homes, they're changing the entire neighborhood. And that's what they mean when they said the cooperation of policymakers and capital owners. You basically have the policy the people who make the policies, you know, um within that neighborhood that neighborhood, the aldermen and all of them working with capital owners, which in this case would be the people who are purchasing these properties. And all of this is to work in favor of the middle class, but it's at the detriment of the poor because, again, the poor are being forced outside of their homes and they're not, they they don't have anywhere to go. So, um, do I want to read that part? Eh, I'm going to skip over that one. Those were all the reasons that I found in that article. So wealthy people wanted to live near rich neighborhoods at a lower cost, gentrification being supported by other means, and those other means being public transportation, affordable housing, crime rates, and public policies, and then global neoliberalism, which is basically what I just read. The next point I have is why do do low-income residents have to relocate? Because they can't afford the housing properties in that area. They can't afford to stay where they stay. The housing prices skyrocket up and they are forced to look for properties elsewhere or outside of the outside of the gentrification cone. And the way that the gentrification cone sets up is is set up is that, you know, if you've already been living in this area and housing was at a cost efficient price where it was cheap and affordable now that the area is being gentrified and now your housing is probably two to three times as much that you can't afford it. Now you have to move someone, move someplace even further away that's basically within your tax bracket. 
and this could be a place that you've known your whole life this could be some place that you've grown up your whole life this could have been some place that you've stayed your whole life and now you are being forced to move because you can't afford to live here anymore and Basically, the middle class purchase properties cheap and they sell them high, making the properties affordable to a specific class and more so a certain demographic of people. So, again, a clash, a clash of classism and racism because a lot of low income communities are filled with people of color, people of color being black, brown any ethnic and racial um, identities that are not white. That's what low-income communities look like. There are a lot of black and brown people. So when you have these people buying these properties and forcing all these other people's all these other people out, that is a clash of racism and classism because, again, you have a certain demographic of people who are making more money. And that, too, is by design because, oh, child of the Lord, we're 47 minutes in this. I don't feel like I don't I shouldn't have to explain all this. You know, y'all should have been keeping up with the episodes by now. So, damn it, you should know how this works. But you have this certain demographic of people that's making more money than a certain another than other demographics of people, you know, and they um have higher education levels because they pursued higher education and things like, yo, I, I'm I will get into this, you guys, but for the sake of time, I'm not. I wanna get through the core questions and maybe if I got time I'll come back. But basically that's why low-income residents have to relocate because they can't afford to stay in those neighborhoods anymore and they have to go move someplace where they can afford to stay. Low-income residents have to move where? Wherever housing price, prices are within their tax bracket. Places where they could afford and have a reasonable means to get the work, get to work. And the thing that sucks about this is that sometimes, you know, people will stay in these properties that they've resided in forever or for their entire lives. And it could be really close to their job. So now you have to move even further away from your job. And sometimes you might even have to get a different job because your job is is now too far away from your house. That sucks. That's that's really effed up because, again, you have these people coming in, buying these properties and basically changing the whole damn neighborhood and making it work in their favor where they can get to work easy peasy breezy. But then you got people who've been staying here their whole life and, you know, their job could literally be like it could be. It can be very it can be at a convenient distance for them, but now things have to change because. You know, you got these people coming in and changing the whole neighborhood because they got money. And that's one that's in the, that's one of the really horrible things about gentrification is that when low income residents have to move out, they don't have any place to go. It's not like they have designated communities like, oh, well, you know, we fix this one up nice for you. No, you just got to go find some place and make it happen and make it work. These people come in and fix up they, this whole neighborhood and make it all nice and pristine and make it just just make it so unaffordable for people and people who reside in these communities don't have any places to go. And it's really messed up and it sucks. Um, 
is there a way to predict which neighborhoods would be the next ones that would be gentrified? I would assume wherever the housing properties are cheap, pay attention to the stores and service shops that pop up. So again, like how I mentioned, the Whole Foods and the pet grooming's places and the yoga studios and freaking frozen yogurt shops and crap. You know, we ain't going to now, I know I don't shop in no dang on Whole Foods. I don't even like shopping at Food Lion. And only charlatans will know what I'm talking about when I say shopping at Food Lion. Because Food Lion is expensive. Um, But also, wherever you see an expansion in public transportation, I will also say pay attention to that. Because again, that's one tool that or one um means that the members of the or people of the people of the middle class use to get to work to and from, you know, cost efficient and all that. Are there any ways to combat gentrification? If so, how? I believe one of the ways to combat gentrification is to have capital and use using your capital profit to purchase properties in low-income communities and keeping these properties available for low-income fa- families. So just like how you have... um people from the middle class purchasing these properties and they're changing them up and they're driving um the value of these prof of these properties so freaking high people who have capital who have the money to do something similar do it in a way that will keep the housing properties affordable and i feel like You know, whenever it comes to refurbishing properties or housing, that always increases the value of a house because they kind of see it as, you know, you're fixing it up and you're making it look brand new. So that makes it look even more, excuse me, that just um, enhances the aesthetic of it and that just brings more value to the property. So I know it'll be really tricky to do that, but being able to make that happen and keeping it circulating within um, the low income communities so that people can stay in these properties and not only stay in these areas, but be able to afford them. Because again, um, they're, they're not able to afford these properties or at least being able to have, um, or create a, a space and a place for low income families to go. So, yeah, they they sit up here fixing up this neighborhood for them or whatever, but we need to create something for low-income families to go so that they're basically not just being left out in the dark without anything, you know? And being able to make those same investments that they make so far as, like, public transportation, you know, making sure people have a means to get to and from work. It's really a community thing, and I feel like, That's what it's going to take. It's going to take the community and people to work together. And then I would say having an influence on policy makers of the area. Being that the state, you know, when these people move in, you know, they start changing things and making things work in their favor. Even the policies of the neighborhood. Being that the state becomes an influence instead of an influencer. I would say getting policymakers on your side to keep policies working in favor of low-income families. And those are my solutions that I have um, to combat gentrification. And I'm 
open to listen to anyone else's feedback on this topic and you know even propose if you have any um suggestions to combat gentrification but again I wanted to talk about this because again I feel like when it comes to the black community and gentrification a lot of times those are our neighborhoods that are being changed so drastically that we're being forced out of them and we're the ones left in the dark because we don't have any place to go and again like I said when it comes to low-income families when it comes to low-income family family I keep I keep saying it wrong (laughs) when it comes to low-income families and low income communities, a lot of times those communities are black and brown. So again, I noticed that this is something that plagues the black community and it's something that needs to be resolved and there needs to be a solution so we do have a place to go when gentrification takes place. And I know not every black person, you know, isn't, uh, doesn't, basically doesn't have a low income like there's some of us that have higher incomes but I think for those of us who do have higher incomes we need to band together and um create a way and make a means for people who are affected by gentrification that they have places to go and still are able to get to work and still their children are still able to get exceptional and an exceptional education and they're able to reside in communities that are healthy that are beneficial and that um help build community relations but y'all know it's almost been an hour so i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up thank you all for tuning in with me to get these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation I just realized that it's almost been an hour and I've been trying to keep it straightforward and keep it straight to the point. But you know, when you bring in this kind of information and you really trying to break it down so people can understand, you know, it, you want to make sure people understand it. So, you know what? It's all right that I went a little bit over. I went more than a little bit over than what I expected, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It's out there. Y'all got this. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure you know a lot more about gentrification now. You're welcome. (laughs) But anyway, I want to thank y'all for tuning in to get these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation. I have been your hostess, Keeks, and you have been listening to another segment of Meninge Toi. I hope y'all have a beautiful, blessed week and an amazing night.